Welcome to Liz Collin Reports. On the podcast, one fearless Minnesota mom fighting back against her daughter's school district. Jill McLaughlin, thank you so much for joining me and uh, for speaking out on this. Thank you for having me. That's great. Great to have you here. And I know this isn't your first time pushing back, but but yeah, let's start there with what happened most recently. Where does your daughter go to school? Uh, what grade is she in? And, and just explain what happened. She goes to Peter Hobart Elementary in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. She's in the fourth grade. And we were notified via email, electronic newsletter, on a Thursday that that week was Black Lives Matter in school week. So I took a screenshot of that particular notification in that long email newsletter, and I challenged the school on why are you announcing this right before the week ends? Yeah, you're uh, you're several days into this c- curriculum already about this Black Lives Matter week at your daughter's school. And uh, I, n- I noted, too, the curriculum coordinator um, says week after week, our fifth graders share that racism is an issue that they feel passionate about addressing. Uh, I know your daughter's a fourth grader. She is black. Uh, is this something that that she's passionate about? No. No. No, <laughs> she she's a very smart kid. And I have kept her abreast of what I'm doing in the district, you know, in an age appropriate way. I'm not, um, it's not like I talk to her about it all the time, but she knows that I'm advocating for her and that I'm advocating for other children. And sometimes she has said things to me, things have come out of her mouth that I've wanted to say to her. Like she comes to her own very intelligent conclusions before I'm ever even able to articulate my feelings about it. So for example, um, there was an assignment that was supposed to be um, given first semester of this year. And I found out about it. It was called the racial autobiography. And I said, no, no, you're not doing this to, to, to the school. I said this to the school and I was talking to her about it. And I said, have you heard anything about this assignment? She said, no, And she just looked at me and said, why does it have to be a racial autobiography? Why can't it just be an autobiography? And I said, exactly. So she's, she knows what's happening. She knows that it's not right. Um, She's, she's just, she's a smart kid and she's not falling prey to a lot of the messaging that's going on at the school. And, you know, she's just. She's aware. And so she's able to discern. She has very good discernment. And she's able to say, you know, I I don't believe in that or I'm not going to listen to that or that goes against my belief system. And, and speaking of that messaging, Jill, you know, it's this is part of this BLM week is part of Black History Month. So this is really an entire month of activities you're you are aware of. But there is no mention of this BLM curriculum in that. Do you think that they hid this on purpose because of what people know now uh, about this organization? Absolutely. And yeah, so at the end of last month, we received the whole like um extracurricular activities, I guess you could say, related to this month. And there was no mention of BLM. There was no mention of BLM being, or it being Black Lives Matter in school week last week. It wasn't part of the monthly calendar. So 
they absolutely tried to hide it from parents. Even my daughter said, well, the reason they announced it on Thursday is because they knew it was wrong. So I'm close with a, another parent here in St. Louis Park um, who she's part of a mixed race family and her children are biracial and she's very upset about what's going on in the schools. And when I shared with her um, what was going on in the elementary school related to them announcing it on a Thursday that that week was Black Lives Matter in school week, she was furious. She said, oh, they are absolutely trying to hide this from the parents. So I'm not the only one who feels this way. You know, I think they've probably tried to paint me as being sort of this radical Karen or whatever word you want to, whatever name you want to call me. But there are other parents who are really concerned about what's going on. And I know you're not just talking to, to me, Jill, about this. You've gone to the school. You've asked, you know, what is BLM doing at school? So explain that. What have you what have you heard back? The principal said, regarding your question about why we did not notify you of Black Lives Matter at school week until Thursday the 9th when it began on the 6th, our communicator only goes out on Thursdays. We did not have our collective plan ready to communicate the week before. How'd that make you feel? They're lying. They knew that they were going to do this. Hmm. It's not like they all of a sudden decided, oh, we're going to have Black Lives Matter week as a part of our Black History Month calendar. Like if they were going to go to the lengths to assign a different activity for every day of the month of February, they knew that they were going to do this. And I will mention also, Jill, that Alpha News is still awaiting a response from the school district on that same question. We'll go ahead and post that uh, when we receive an answer. But I, I think it's interesting, too, you have some pictures from inside the school that will show as well. Again, people need to keep in mind that these are elementary students. But tell us uh, what you found inside and, and why you were concerned. Well, I started taking photos as soon as I could, because with COVID, parents weren't allowed in the building for a while last year, which made me crazy. Um, once I was able to get into the building, I mean, I didn't go there to take photos because frankly, I didn't know what was on the walls because I hadn't been in the building. And when I saw the propaganda on the walls, I was just sickened. I'm like, these are elementary school children. You should not be having all this ambient messaging on the walls. Um, it's everywhere. I took some photos then and then I was in the building again for, I think it was a book fair, and I took some other photos. And then I was there again yesterday for um, <laughs> Parent Connect, which is basically parent-teacher conference, and I took some more photos. It, it's just shocking. And I will say, because of my daughter's sports activities, I have been in multiple elementary schools, middle schools, and high schools in the Twin Cities over the last two and a half months. And I was fully prepared to see the same propaganda in in those schools. And I've only seen one thing in all of those schools. I've only seen, and, and granted, I haven't walked every single hall of every single school, but I've been in the entryways. I've been, you know, around the gyms and the media centers, like those sort of common areas. And there's nothing. It makes it even more bothersome that the walls of this elementary school are plastered with this propaganda. It's not prolific in other schools. Now, what they're teaching in the classroom, 
you know, is probably a different story. But as far as the ambient propaganda that's on the walls, it is thick at Peter Hobart. And it's you, you hardly see anything in the schools that I've been in. I was really uh, struck by the word re- resistance in, in uh, some of that messaging you're talking about, celebrating black black resistance and encouraging kids uh, to resist, uh, it seems. <laughs> yeah, I love that word. I mean, what are we asking these young children to resist exactly? And I have a list of questions based on uh, messaging that's come out from the district and things that I have photographed Um in the building, I have sort of this collage of things collected for my meeting on the 28th. And I'm going to tell them, ask them to give me very specific answers on what are we asking these young children to resist? And and other questions. I have a collection of questions that I'm going to try to get answers to based on this messaging. Karen Sullivan spoke to you for a column this summer on on this topic, and that's why I do applaud you. You're very brave uh, to to come out and really shine a light on what what's going on in this district. But you talked about this equality and equity fight that we all seem to be thrust into somehow, and uh, especially our kids. Yeah, I'm really sick of the word equity, which means something very different from equality, right? Equity means equal outcomes, and equality means equal opportunity. Those are very different. And every single newsletter that comes out from the school talks about racial equity, racial equity, racial equity. It's gotten almost embarrassing. I mean, and, and I told the principal, this is embarrassing. You, you, there's some other good content in the newsletters, but it's just, it's, they're just cramming it down people's throats. And I don't think they even know what the word means. I really don't think they know what the word means. Um, and, and even if they did know, I don't really think they care because they're so committed to this particular type of, of woke messaging and to admit, oh, well, maybe we should um, back off of this language a little bit. Or maybe maybe this doesn't mean what we thought it would mean, would mean that they would have to admit that they've done something inappropriate. And I don't think they're they're not they're not going to do that. So. And you went ahead um, also raising some red flags over uh, some assigned reading your daughter had in, in third grade uh, that I think is quite eye-opening as well. Yes. So the third grade teacher was reading a book to the students. So she was sitting in a chair and the children were sitting on the floor and she was reading part of the book and then putting it on her lap and having a discussion about the book content. And then she would read a little bit more of the book. And um, she said to these third graders on more than one occasion that the police don't like black people. Now she was a black woman herself. Um, And, you know, Peter Hobart, the whole St. Louis Park District is pretty diverse. So, you know, there were lots of black kids in my daughter's class. And that night, you know, I picked my daughter up from school. We had a normal afternoon. She's a happy kid. You know, we did our normal activities, had dinner, did some reading. It was time to turn the lights out and go to sleep. And she was hiding under the covers, which she'd never done before. I mean, she was like terrified and she was sobbing, crying, which is not like her. And I thought, what happened? Like, are you hurt? Like, what's going on? And she she almost couldn't catch her breath. She was crying so hard and she couldn't tell me. It took like 10 minutes for her to be able to get it out. 
And I was terrified. I'm like, what has happened? Finally, she told me that the teacher said that the police don't like black people. And she thought that she would be shot in the back. She said, I never want to leave the house again because I'm afraid I'll be shot in the back. Hmm. So I demanded to know what book was being read. And the teacher did share it with me. And, you know, I caused a stink about it. But to them, it's all cloaked under this touchy-feely, you know, equity. Um, you know, we need to teach these young kids to resist and be these social justice warriors. And it's just so inappropriate, especially for young children. Yeah, it really it really hurts to hear you even uh, recount that that story. That's difficult. Um, thank you for, for speaking up and, and pushing back. Uh, on that. And I also applaud you. You have a, a website. You want to be a voice for mixed race and, and transracial adoptive uh, families. Tell us about your mission and where uh, people can find all of that. So in my upset with even having my daughter in the public school, so I just want to say really quickly, a lot of people are asking me, well, why is she even there? You know, why can't you get her out of the public school system? And I'm, I'm you can't. ordered to have her there. Yeah. I can't really go into details about that, but I don't have a choice. So in my upset with being forced to have her in the public school system and then learning about a now defunct website that was called Good Trouble Principles, which was a collection of Twin Cities principals who had come together under this, you know, idea of equity. And, you know, it was basically critical race theory. You know, it's all based on the on the principles of critical race theory. So. Just this idea popped into my head to create the antidote to that called Good Trouble Parents. Now, I'll tell you what my mission is, but um, I have changed the name of the organization uh, to the Protective Parent Coalition because the Good Trouble Principles website has come down, thankfully. And um, I've taken some heat for the John Lewis Association. I actually, so he coined the term Good Trouble. You know, he was a civil rights activist back in the 60s. I actually didn't know a lot about John Lewis, I didn't name it Good Trouble Parents because of him. I wanted to name it that as the antidote to Good Trouble Principles. So I will say I did put a lot of thought into whether or not I should create this organization because um, there are some really good parental rights organizations in Minnesota. And I'm friends with, you know, some of those leaders and executive directors of those of those organizations However, I really wanted to be a voice for the transracially adoptive and, and um, mixed race family communities because let's just call it what it is. Critical race theory has specific harms for families like mine because these kids are being groomed to believe and to think that white people are oppressors and that black people are oppressed. Hmm. So for a transracially adoptive family, she could be groomed to believe that her white parents are oppressing her. So I do feel, I, I really sleuthed out as many organizations as I could nationally that were speaking out about parental rights. And none of them were speaking specifically to these types of families. So I was like, yeah, I am going to go ahead and create this organization. So I do want to be a voice for those families. I have become close friends with a mom who's in a transracial, transracially, um, or sorry, a mixed race family. 
Her husband's black. So their kids are mixed race. We share a lot of texts and <laughs> outrage with one another. And, you know, I, a lot of people have been rooting me on. I, I want to be collecting more stories. Um, and, and I'm available to talk to anybody um, at any, you know, for free. Like, I just want to connect with that community of, of families because there are specific harms. And one of my uh, good friends here in the Twin Cities, who's a fierce parental rights activist uh, in the Hopkins area, Hopkins, Minnetonka, he said, you know, Jill, you're really nothing special. <laughs> you're not doing anything unique because this affects all kids. And I said, yeah, I know, but I really want to stand up for all kids. It's not just about my daughter. Like, I want to stand up for all kids because this is affecting black kids. It's affecting white kids. It's affecting mixed race kids. My friend who's married to the to a black man, she has horrific stories about what's happened to her children as a result of being in the public schools. So I want to be a voice for those families. And I also want to tell their stories. So um, I only have two blog posts up right now telling stories. Uh, so uh, stories of other families who've who've been willing to share their experiences with me. But going forward, like um, I've been caught up in a project lately, but I really want to do more outreach and tell stories of what's happening, not just not just with my family, but other families, too. And part of that outreach, you spell out on your on your website, you know, what you won't allow your daughter to be exposed to. The district knows this. You encourage other parents to do the same. You're kind of just line line by line. And and you want to remind parents, too, that the law is on their side here, correct? Yes, the law is on our side. So um, first of all, anyone who works in a public school is a government employee. They work for us. So I think... I don't think, I know that a lot of parents are concerned about what's going on, but they're afraid to speak out. You know, they're afraid to be canceled or, or they're afraid that their children might be ostracized at school or, or bullied. And, um, you know, I have spoken with my daughter. She knows what I'm doing. And, you know, I just asked her last night, I said, are you okay with what I'm doing? Like, I'm going to move forward with this. Are you, are you, you know, you're, you're good with this. And she's like, yeah, go ahead. I do have a little bit more of a concern once she gets into middle school um, that this may affect her. But to answer your question specifically, um, we do have the right to inspect curriculum under the Data Practices Act. This is Chapter 13 of the Minnesota Statutes. Now, the tricky thing about that is that if we don't know what to inspect, you know, if they're not being forthcoming and being transparent about lessons, then how do we know what to inspect, <laughs> right? So we can't just be like badgering them every week and saying, let me see the lessons, let me see the lessons. I mean, I guess you could do that, but we do have that protection, um, which covers literature, curriculum, policies, and other media or communications from other organizations, including political and advocacy groups. Hmm. So, um, yeah, we, we, we do have protections. And I think that they're banking on parents not being aware. Well, you can't be aware of 
what they don't tell you. But I think they're banking on parents just being busy, preoccupied. You know, the last couple of years have been super stressful. I think they're just planning on parents not really spending the time or the energy to pay attention to what's going on. Now, again, there are parents who are very concerned, but they're, they're not willing to speak out. So, right, and they and they don't know what to do. And you, and you say right right there that this isn't even just about your child. That this divisiveness and racism that is being fomented in schools will affect them forever. And it's why we all need to pay attention and care, Jill. Yes, yeah, we do. Um, and I've I've received a lot of you know <laughs> high fives and you know people emailing me saying we're rooting you on and thank you for what you're doing and. It's like, well, you know, why don't you lock arms with me? Like, let, let's do this. Because right now, to my knowledge, I am the only person in St. Louis Park who's really taking a stand. So I have been a lone wolf, and, and that's fine. I'm, I'm not asking for sympathy. I'm, I'm not stopping. But it would be nice to um, have other people in this district. Um, there are, I'm close with a group of parents in the Hopkins Minnetonka district who are, who are fighting in that district. And there's a nice collection of, of them and they're, they're supporting me and I'm supporting them to the extent that I can. But as far as the St. Louis park district specifically, I think I'm the only parent here who's really taking a hard stand on this. So of course this lone wolf title comes at great risk to, to you and, and to your daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think we're protected. A lot of people have said you're protected. Don't worry. Well, we hope you'll you'll keep on fighting. Uh, again, so many people are are in your corner. Jill McLaughlin, thank you so much for, for joining me and thank for speaking you. out. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And that will do it for this episode of Liz Collin Reports. Be sure to subscribe to Alpha News on YouTube. We'll see you next time.